Good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. You're hearing us on EWTN, but we're broadcasting from the Coming Home Network International Studios in Central Ohio. Thank you for joining us. We have on our program today Shane Kapler. He's a uh, former, well, he calls it a non-denominational, but we, we discovered on the Journey Home program that specifically that non-denominational tradition was of the health and wealth slash charismatic back we'll mm-hmm. make it into that a little bit on the program but I'd encourage you if you didn't do so to catch the journey home program on EWTN um, for the last 20 years Shane has been involved in the evangelistic and catechetical ministry of the Archdiocese of St. Louis he has served on the core teams of both a Catholic charismatic youth group and life team program as well as coordinating programs for the right of Christian initiation for adults and ongoing faith formation which actually is the big, biggest part of RCIA is the ongoing. I it's, agree. It's the most important and sometimes most neglected part of the of the uh, uh, Christian initiation for adults as they come into the church. Shane was a lifetime member of the Archdiocese Retreat. Well, excuse me, was a longtime member of the Archdiocese Retreat Evangelization and Prayer Team called REAP and has recently begun writing for Catholic Exchange he holds an MA in speech language pathology and is engaged in clinical practice with school-age children. He vehemently maintains, however, that his best gig is being the father of two. I understand Amen. that. Um, he has a website, explainingchristianity.com, also a web, a web blob, <laughs> blog associated with that. Excuse me. It's a, it's a tough today for some reason. Um, I apologize. Uh, and so I encourage you to connect with Shane on that. So Shane, welcome back. Thank it you. It was good to have you on the Journey Home oh, program and, and to talk a little bit about your journey. We're going to look today at some scriptures that both had a key part of your return to the mm-hmm. Catholic faith, as well as scriptures that came came alive to you after you discovered the beauty of the faith. Um, we didn't talk much in your journey about the place of Scripture other than you said you had this awakening uh, that, as a teenager, all of a sudden drove you into Scripture, mm-hmm. where you were reading it, and, and like you said, like over a summer, right. uh, your life was really changed by that. And maybe, if you would, now as a Catholic looking back, there are many who think Catholics don't read the Bible. The many even think the church discourages Catholics from reading the Bible, which isn't true, of course. Right. But yet, as a young Catholic, you probably didn't read the Bible very much. No, no, not not at all, really. What was the problem? Um, what do you think? Gosh, I don't know. I guess I, I had the impression, I kind of soaked it up, that the Bible was uh, a book for priests, a book for scholars that... It wasn't something for your normal run-of-the-mill guy to to be able to study with any kind of profit. Yeah. In fact, I think there's the, the rumor going around that you've got to be careful because if you start spending too much time in Scripture, you won't end up Catholic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, nothing could be further from the truth, as we know. Um, for me, what I will say is that we as Catholics, we believe that the Word of God holds, uh, the written Word of God holds such an incredibly unique place in our spiritual lives that uh, it is inerrant. It is, for all of time, these are the words that God chose to communicate with us through. And so these are the stories, the images. Uh, being a speech therapist, you know, I know that children, they learn vocabulary from their parents. And until they interiorize that vocabulary, there's no two-way communication going on. Same thing. I mean, Scripture is divine vocabulary. God wants us to interiorize these stories so that as we go through our life, he's activating these within our mind. This is how he's talking to us very casually in our everyday life through these words. As a speech therapist, I'm wondering, you you, you talked a bit about your own charismatic uh, journey as a mm-hmm. part of that as your faith grew. And charismatic um, experience of the faith often emphasizes spontaneous prayer often as a right. as a major part of worship, whereas traditional Catholicism emphasizes more liturgical prayer. But I'm also wondering if 
if just what you've just said is that and to a certain extent to be able to accurately communicate our faith and our prayers and our deepest needs to God spontaneously if it in fact helps by first having the teacher of the Psalms mm-hmm. the teacher of the liturgy because just like you said in speech therapy it's through the Psalms and the liturgy church that we learn how to talk to our Lord in an accurate way so that in, in a free sense we can accurately express that to him right and in our everyday life, our communication is so varied. You know, we have people that we speak to formally. We have friends that we cut up with, and the register that we use in talking with each differs. Well, I mean, the same thing can be true in our relationship with God. Uh, it's that awesome both and of Catholicism that you want the liturgical and you want the spontaneous. Yep. That both of those together is what makes up a, a whole life. You've chosen a couple of scriptures today from some of my favorite places in the New Testament. And the first is Ephesians one twenty two. And maybe before we read the text, can you give a little bit of a background context to mm-hmm. what we're going to read so we don't just merely pull it out of the context of Paul's letter to the Ephesians? Okay. Well, um, Paul, he is um, writing in this letter to a mixed community, Jew and Gentile, and he is talking to them about the the interrelationship that is supposed to exist between all the members of Christ's body, that there should not be these divisions into these different factions of Jew and Gentile Christian. Yeah, and going along with that, uh, it seems to me that's one of the discoveries I have in my own study of Ephesians, that it seems to be the backdrop to Ephesians is that the power of baptism is in fact what has brought about this unity between Jew and Greek. Yes, that's it, awesome. It's through their anointing that they received. You see it in verse 113. Uh, this awakening that they heard, they believed, and then they received and sealed with the promised spirit. Well, that's talking about in the context that they were baptized, and through their baptism they become a part of the body and it doesn't matter anymore whether they were Jew or Greek. It really doesn't matter where they came from because they're now new creations. The old right. is gone, the new has come. So the first part of Ephesians is a bit about what baptism does, where the second half is about, okay, now that we're baptized, now that we are united, it is automatic. Now we've got to start living differently. Mm-hmm. This has happened. Now we've got to live a life of this holiness. So the verse you chosen is in that first chapter in which, as you said, there's this still, though, in the community, though they've been baptized and united, we're not quite living it as we ought to. Yeah. Is it okay if I go ahead and read that? Oh, of course. Go ahead. Okay. Um, And I'm going to go starting chapter 1, verse 22, and go through 23. Good. It says, he has put all things under Christ's feet and has made him thus exalted head of the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills the universe in all its parts. I was in college when I was rereading Ephesians. And when I read that, the fullness of him who fills the universe, if Paul hadn't have written it, I would have said that was blasphemous to give that kind of role to the church. But, but that's the reality, that if we are baptized, if we've been merged into Christ's body, Jesus is never just Jesus by himself. It's always Jesus and his body. The the two are inseparable. Yeah, this whole context of uh, of what he has accomplished in Christ, and of course the the, the context before this is uh, all that he has done with that raising Christ up and what he has done. But that it really makes a difference in a, you know, far beyond rule or authority or power, dominion above her name only in this age, but also in which is to come. And he has put all of things under his feet and has made him the head over all things uh, for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in and all. Shane, when you look back on your pre-Catholic, well, during your period when you left the church and, and got, were delving into some of these other, uh, and quote, non-denominational, unquote, traditions, mm-hmm. What was your understanding of church? How would you have understood this verse if you had studied it closely? 
Um, gosh, you know, that's hard because for some reason it seems like when I was reading things, um, I was reading it through a, uh, a different tradition, a different set of lenses to right. where you're not noticing the implications of some of these lines. It's not till, um I think the Lord gave me some distance and let me see that with a fresh pair of eyes that I could be shocked by it the way that I should have been. Yeah, especially if you look at it from the standpoint of understanding church as an invisible, unidentifiable fellowship of believers throughout all time. Right, and that the church itself it's it's not about the church, it's it's Jesus, Jesus alone. Uh he's the savior and rightly so, but I mean Paul is saying that we're his body, you know, he has joined us to himself to his mission and that there is this this mystical person that uh Christ come to full stature, the mystical Christ that None of that was ever even touched upon in in the other church I was attending. That's right, and uh, he uh, even though this passage itself, which is his, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. You know, it, I will also say that that verse is hard to explain anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, what does it mean that? Uh, that he has put all things under his feet, has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. The fact that Christ fills all and is in all. Uh, I mean, to a really extent, that is beyond our human ability to imagine. Right. (laughs) Yeah, there's definitely a level to this passage, probably several levels that are beyond my comprehension. But even the even that first step was was a huge jump for me coming from this non denominational outlook. Yeah. Yeah. In the non denominational for all, so often it, it does. The the least common denominator is the individual and in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Whether it's health and wealth, individual, if you really love Jesus and if he really loves you then you let go of everything and he'll make you healthy and wealthy. Or even the charismatic, uh, again, it's the individual, it's you and the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit gives you gifts so that you can be happy. Um, but when as soon as you see it as a part of the church, then you realize the focus is off ourselves. It's being a part of the body, which therefore is fulfillment of Christ's call to love the body. You, you know, uh, later in Ephesians 5, we looked into you know the, the, the marriage Yes, a, a symbol uh, uh, as an analogy of the church, this mutual submission and giving of one for the other. Uh, I mean, really, there is so that we are called to, I mean, to a certain extent, we are then called in imitation of Christ as a part of the body to be all of us together filling all for the sake of Christ. Mm, yes. Our culture, our neighborhoods, even our politics. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. And, you know, uh, from this verse, we were going to jump to chapter four, where Paul starts to develop exactly what you're, what you're saying there. Why don't we do that? Okay. Um, chapter four, verse seven, and then we'll also look at 11 through 16. Why don't you go ahead and read it, because you're looking at the New American Bible, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm reading the RSV here. Why don't you go ahead and read your text? Okay. So verse seven, each of us has received God's favor in the measure in which Christ bestows it. It is he who gave apostles prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers in roles of service for the faithful to build up the body of Christ till we become one in faith and in the knowledge of God's Son and form that perfect man whose Christ come to full stature. Let us then be children no longer, tossed here and there, carried about by every wind of doctrine that originates in human trickery and skill in proposing error. Rather, let us profess the truth in love and grow to the full maturity of Christ the head through him the whole body grows and with the proper functioning of the members joined firmly together by each supporting ligament builds itself up in love all right it definitely is a fulfillment you know an expanding of what it's almost like someone said Paul what do you mean back there by verse 22 oh okay I'll explain what it is <laughs> yeah <laughs> but this is in that part of the book where uh, 
to me, it's, okay, now that you've been baptized, what difference does it make in your life and how do you live it out? And so he, in this midst, he's talking about our baptism has made us united in the church. Mm-hmm. So now how do we live as brothers and sisters in the church? And, yeah. and there we have. Let's look at that first verse you read, and uh, if you would talk to us about it, uh, Shane. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Right. We were talking about the the charismatic movement, and that for me was a the real way that the Lord could bring me into the church uh, full fledged. You know, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding. People have a there's a stigma about the charismatic renewal because they've seen abuses attached to it. But, you know, we see abuses attached with with every good movement. The reality is that Jesus continues to pour out his gifts upon the church, and there are a whole variety of them, and. We can't exclude. We can't tell the Lord, no, you can't give that gift any longer. You know, <laughs> Jesus is free to do what he wants. And so what we need to do is, as the church, appreciate and be grateful for all the gifts the Lord is pouring out. And not to, not to be fixated on charisms, necessarily, or any one particular gift, but to recognize the incredible variety and and to value them. I mean, there are so many different kind of ministries within the church. Um, and Paul, he goes into talking about them right away, you know, talking about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers in roles of service, uh, very much puts me in mind of the hierarchical mm-hmm. structure that we have in the church, naming first apostles and that apostolic authority um, in these there are these roles of service to help us begin using the gifts that Christ has given us, to put them at the service of the body, for us to follow the apostles' lead in doing that. Yeah, one phrase back in 7, which has led to a variety of interpretations, is, okay, the grace is, was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Well, what does it mean, the measure of Christ's gift? When you think of a measure, you're you're looking at some kind of standard, mm-hmm. um, but in some ways, this reminds me of that the Matthew parable of the talents. Okay, some are given five, some are given two, some are given one, and it says according to their ability. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we look at abilities as something we've been given by God as a result of grace, then it ultimately goes back the gifts we've been given, the talents we've been given, ultimately go back to what God has decided by looking at each of us determining what is good for us to each have for our service within the community. Not to look at each other and say, boy, I wish I had your gift, or you know, my gifts are so much better than yours, or get caught up in that. That's not the point. If anything, we're missing the point. But it's, it's examining what is it that each of us has been given for service within the body. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's followed right after the passage about there is one body and one spirit and one Lord and one faith and one baptism, all this unity that's there. Right. And within that unity, God has distributed gifts for the service of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, as you said, and then drawing our attention to verse 11, what, what amazes me about this passage, especially in relationship to the hierarchy of the church that has been there from the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. You looked at the early church fathers on your own journey. Yes. And you find immediately in the early church fathers, following the lead of Paul, that there are bishops, there are deacons, there's a hierarchy within the church. Right, exactly. And what Paul seems to point out in verse 11 is that the, their gifts, so in other words, um, we didn't earn them, mm-hmm. positions are not so much earned people rise in hierarchical leadership often because that's where God has called them not necessarily because you know they're the most they're the best looking or the most charismatic or God has called them into this position and it seems that one of the keys here is that the purpose of the hierarchy in verse 12 is for the equipping of the church the saints for the work that the church is to do in the world. Yeah, that's the way that I read it too, which excites me to no end. To 
Well, I mean, really, that's a Vatican too, you know, thought right there that it's the laity who are supposed to be the leaven in the world lifting it up. And so, yeah, the bishops, they've got their role, but the role is develop our gifts. I mean, we're on the front lines of evangelization. Uh, I remember a priest once saying, you know, they expect me to say these things. I wear this collar, you know, but you, when it comes out of your mouth, you know, (laughs) people are surprised by that. Why is this guy saying these things about Jesus? I want to listen to that. Um, And we take it everywhere, you know, into our jobs, every corner of the society, we can be that voice. And that word in verse 12, to equip, Mm -hmm. is key to equip the laity have a great call to be witnesses in the world but to be able to do that they need to have been equipped yes sir they need to know their faith and their conscience needs to be formed correctly so they can take bold stands in their community and, and sometimes there are many laity that have jobs in the world that can be contradictory to their faith Mm-hmm. So their consciences need to be equipped and formed so they make right decisions in line with the teaching of the church. Exactly. Yeah, when I think about the people who've done me the most good in my life, it's always the people that tell me what I don't want to hear. <laughs> you know, those, those are the ones doing me the real service. And sometimes that's what our bishops do. Well, you had mentioned in your own journey, I, if I listen to your story, take a step back and, and hear your whole story that you shared on the journey home as well as on the after show that you were a Catholic, but maybe not as equipped as a young Catholic man could have been. No, I was not. Um, I mean, really, I went to a Catholic school, but I didn't absorb anything while I was there that equipped me to handle a crisis of faith. And when I was presented with a version of Christianity that um, could be very much at odds with Catholicism, I didn't have any kind of knowledge of Scripture, uh, where our beliefs come from in Scripture. You know, it's funny. I I get the feeling sometimes because I I have worked with youth. People will say, well, kids, you know, you you can't expect them to understand these things. Uh, Learning about Scripture, that's just too hard. That's a different world. Are you kidding me? I mean, seriously, (laughs) these are high school kids who they go to school. They're studying the works of Shakespeare. You know, some of them are studying calculus, and they can't crack open the Bible and understand that? Of course they can. I don't know why we're, we're scared to equip them. I mean— You know, it's a common comment today. You hear adults who are frustrated by technology, and they'll say, well, let's just go ask a 7-year-old, and he'll <laughs> show us how. Well, if they recognize that, then why don't they think that they can understand these spiritual things? Yeah, yeah, why is that that, you know, I'll meet gentlemen who they might have a degree in engineering and, you know, they might say, gosh, but when I read the Bible, that's, I just don't get it at all. Uh, but, you know, they had the discipline to pursue those studies and get that master's in engineering. They've got the Holy Spirit living inside of them. I mean, they already have a leg up. Well, one thing that struck me again from your story is that though you had not been equipped, it was a, a layman who had been well-equipped in the faith that was the, able to help you find your way back to the church. Yes, it was. Yeah, a youth minister and also uh, another gentleman who, uh, layman, opened his home and started a youth group for kids to come and pray. And this was a gentleman who he uh, had pursued theological studies, had a tremendous library of good Orthodox Catholic writers that he would loan out to us and he would talk about with us afterwards. Yeah, and it's not my intent right now on this to to start shooting arrows at our bishops and priests about not equipping the laity. That's not my point. Oh, no, no, I didn't take it yet, that way. Yet, I think it is an important point to, to reflect on. We especially look at the last 40 or 50 years on the equipping of the saints for the ministry is that there have been a lot of Catholics that didn't know their faith very well, and we've got a lot of work to do. We're going to take a break now, though. Come right back to that subject. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Shane Kapler, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. 
This Deep in Scripture radio program is produced by the Coming Home Network International, a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. You can listen to any of our past radio programs by logging onto our website, which also offers a wealth of information on our Catholic faith, including conversion stories, an online forum, and available resources to help you to find the truth of our faith. Visit us today at www.deepinscripture.com. Get an insider's look at the latest information from EWTN. Sign up for WINGS, EWTN's weekly email newsletter. Get the latest information about live events, special features, and guests. Connect with EWTN on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the WINGS link to sign up. Don't miss a minute of all that's happening at EWTN. Get your WINGS today. CH Resources is excited to offer you Marcus Grodi's latest book, Thoughts for the Journey Home. If you're not Catholic but are looking seriously at the Catholic Church, or if you've recently entered the Church, this book will provide you with wisdom and encouragement for the journey. And if you're a lifelong Catholic, it makes a great gift for family and friends you're hoping will come home. To order a copy, visit our website at chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Don't forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Shane Kepler. We're looking at a variety of verses right now. We're looking at Ephesians. And, and in many ways, Shane, right, these are scriptures that you've chosen because in some ways they they connect with your own journey back to discovering the beauty and the necessity of the church. Yeah, this is a scripture that I personally found very challenging because of the role that it assigned to the church. And uh um, the unity that we're supposed to possess, as well as, you know, we clearly see that there are ministers who've been raised up by Christ. I'd even go so far as to say ordained by Christ to to lead us in uh, in growing in unity and coming to the truth. Verse 13, particularly of uh, Ephesians chapter 4, as we're looking at it, uh, Paul seems to lay before the Ephesians a goal, a trajectory of what the unity in the body will produce. And and he says, until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's implying, it seems, that we haven't arrived there yet when he was writing it. Yes. That that's the goal, right? Right. Um, from your own experience, reflect on that because you've come from back other traditions that may have had the same goal but approached it in different ways. And now as a Catholic, you know, what what difference does it make that we're a Catholic in how to accomplish what Paul wants to happen in verse 13? Well, for me, what it really speaks to is... Um, it's not just about me and Jesus, for one, that this faith that Paul is talking about, he wants us to be one in faith. So there is a foundational corporate element to this faith that he's talking about, and that together we form, we're meant to form Christ come to full stature. But it's not about me. It's not about a cult of personality or what Jesus is doing for me. It's he's giving these gifts for the purpose of building his body. We're living together as, as a people. Um, and that was, uh, that's a completely different mindset than I think we have here in the United States about anything, including our faith. Yeah, as a matter of fact. Um, I mean, it almost sounds like uh, Paul is a bit Southern in verse 13, until we all... <laughs> 
Um, he's not. He didn't say until you all. It wasn't Paul just telling his group of people. Mm-hmm. He, it was the inclusive until we. So here's Paul way over in prison somewhere. He's not really directly involved with the Ephesians at all anymore. He's in prison, ready, really writing this letter to the local leaders of Ephesians that he established when he was there earlier, which we read about in Acts. So Paul still carries his authority mm-hmm. through the writing of this letter. He would rather be there in person, but he can't because he's in chains, so he writes this. But he's not just pontificating and telling them what what they need to do, but we, so it's this unified body. It's also not, verse 13, until each of us individually attain yes. to the unity of the faith. That's a wonderful point. You know, as you were saying that, I was thinking that this passage, Paul really captures that both and of there's a spiritual union that we're talking about here between all of us, no matter where we are in the world, but there's also a visible unity here. I mean, Jesus has raised up apostles and prophets and evangelists in roles of service for the body. So it's the both and, spiritual and visible physical. And it's a a unity of the faith. So and he talked about that earlier in in chapter 4, you know, one faith, one baptism, one Lord. but also, it's a, of the knowledge of the Son of God, so that, again, this knowledge of Christ, the fullness of that, is not merely an individualistic uh, experience of this guy really smart, mm-hmm. and therefore he's got a better knowledge than old Fred over here, you know, or, or whomever who's not as smart as, as Bill over here. It's not that. It's as the body. And so, in essence, we've kind of, you see a a, a a suggestion of what Paul talks about and elsewhere, you know, that hold true to the, the deposit of faith. Yes. Orally and written, as he says mm-hmm. in Second Thessalonians 2.15. That that's what, that's this common knowledge, this maturing knowledge under the Holy Spirit in the church of the Son of God uh, to mature manhood. Right? We're reminded of other passages where they're like children, they're only getting milk, they need to mm-hmm. get deeper. So we're growing in that to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. So that's really the call. And again, I, I have no desire to point fingers at bishops and priests for not fulfilling their calling. I, I would never do that because do any of us f- perfectly fulfill our call? But it does seem to me that we've still got a long way to go yet. Mm-hmm. When we look at the body of Christ, our call to fulfill what Paul wants for the body of Christ, and especially in this day and age when every other voice is taking us in every other direction on sometimes the most crucial issues of our faith. Yeah. As you were sharing that, I was thinking about you know, Paul saying, one in faith. And this faith, it's not its not a faith that... Uh, you know, you have to reinvent the wheel or, like you said, find a smarter teacher and then a smarter teacher. This faith, it's open to all. I mean, it's out there. It's as close as the catechism. <laughs> you know, it's as close as your local parish. And uh, uh, you can just embrace it and immerse yourself in it. Yeah, necessarily having information is not the same as having wisdom. True. Yeah, they're just not the same. And we're talking about a maturity here, which implies both the correct knowledge as well as how do you apply it, how do you live it, and the sacrifices there. Before we move on, I also want to pull to verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the cunning of men, by their craftiness and deceitful wiles. I mean, if anything, what has stood in the way of the body of Christ growing in maturity over the last 2,000 years one of the key things has been the divisions. All the contradictory voices out there. I mean, like you said, the group that you were with that said, we're not a denomination, but they did have a set of teachings that were radical from all the other churches in town. Mm-hmm. And so we have this common continuing um, conflict of winds of opinion coming from every different direction, like a bunch of children that can't get along. I mean, eh, that kind of describes the world we're in. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, it all, it does come back to a question of authority and humility. 
Yeah, if we're not to any longer be tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of opinion, because we're no longer to be like children, well, children are always under authority. Mm-hmm. Children, that's part of what it means to be a child, is recognizing it. When, when Christ said we are to enter the kingdom like children, part of that means accepting, hey, I don't know it all. It, it isn't about me. Let me ask you, when Paul says in verse 15, rather let us profess the truth in love and grow to the full maturity of Christ the head, what are you hearing in that? How do we profess the truth in love to people? Uh, I don't know if I can hear that clearly for the first time because that's been a favorite phrase of mine for most of my life. In other words, the, it seems to me uh-huh. uh, the, the, the way I memorize it is speaking the truth in love. The RSV version, the old King James version, is that both are important and often it's in the imbalance of that verse that has caused the most problems throughout the history of the church. Mm. You either have on the one side people that are are speaking what is true, but they've forgotten how to do it in love, mm-hmm. which can often lead to great division and hurt and, and has led to wars. They might have been speaking what was true, but they forgot how to live it out in love. And, of course, now we've got, in in my view, the modern progressive liberal, I hate to use the word political term, liberal, but I think we know what we mean by that, who's more committed to love Mm-hmm. Well, at least their understanding of what love is, or tolerance, right. at the sacrifice of what's true. So it would seem that the verse, by the way Paul phrased it, it seems to me he's trying to, to, to keep these things in balance. They're both essential, 100%, 100%, truth mm-hmm. and with love, not, not sacrificing either uh-huh. or the other. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, because I, I think that's a struggle. In in my own life, you know, how do people seem to take offense so easily at times? And you can try to be as gentle as possible in proposing the truth to them. There is this tightrope, and I I don't claim to know how to walk it quite yet. I, but I I just keep getting up there and trying my best at it. So I was looking for your your insight on that. Well, too. Uh, for what it's worth, but I mean, the, even the context of well, how do you know what you're speaking is true? Mm. And you know, ever since the Reformation, uh, every single group that was established during the Reformation has broken into multitudes mm-hmm. of division, every single one. There's no one group that broke away in the Reformation that has remained completely intact. I mean, there are hundreds of Lutheran breakaways, Presbyterian, Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, they're all broken away because... In the end, how do you determine what's true? Yeah. Once you've jettisoned a trustworthy authority, how do you determine what's true? Also, how do you determine what is love? Mm-hmm. We do live in a culture, right, where if you speak what is true and somebody says, well, you offend me. Yeah, hate speech. So therefore, well, what's love? Does love mean, well, then I won't say what's true anymore because right. I don't want to offend you. I mean, we're caught in that today. Yeah. I know particularly places in the world today where if you take a stand on what is true, you'll get thrown in jail. We, mm-hmm. we know that to be true, and it's happening uh, even in places in our own country. So, I, mean, I think there's a, that's a great passage, and that's your own, your own experience, Shane. I, I think coming to the church, back to the church, is a way of being able to measure what is true. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, for me... It is its authority, and it only makes sense that if we are to believe that Jesus was an effective teacher, then Jesus is going to put in place a mechanism by which his truth can remain intact because he knows the human heart, and he knows how tempted it is to err to one side or the other. So the Lord, being a good teacher, raises up. Not He doesn't write a book, which can be misinterpreted, but he raises up shepherds, and then they put a large chunk of that revelation in writing. But right alongside it is the context. There's also the magisterium so that when there is a misunderstanding, you get a chance to ask what that means. So there's there's repair of that misunderstanding. That just makes sense. You know, if we really – I don't see what the alternative is, honestly. Either we believe that Jesus is who he said he is and that uh, 
he came into this world to proclaim the truth, or we say he was lousy at it. I mean, there, I don't think there's an in-between there. The bigger context of this passage is that it seems to me that verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, and it goes on there with a, with a, a very important model to aim for uh, for the church. I think that bigger context recognizing that speaking the truth in love is primarily an expression of life within the body. Hmm. The reason I say that is it doesn't guarantee that we're going to live in peace with the world. Hmm. That within the body Uh these things that Paul outlines that's how we're to live with one another. I mean he's talking to Greeks and Jews in the midst of the Roman Empire, right? You know, there's there's no anticipation of living in peace, but I think that's where maybe one of the reasons that that the church does not. What I mean by the church, I mean the actual people in the church, as we live as bishops, priests, and religious and laity, that we don't always demonstrate everything we see here, and so sometimes our witness is not great to the world, is that we're not living this out in the body. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we get caught up with trying to live in peace with the world, and in the process we sacrifice some of the truth and authentic love in the body because we're trying to live in the world. Very good. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great insight. Well, is it more important to be Catholic Americans or American Catholics? Uh-huh. You know, and there's a big difference. And for those of you that aren't Catholics, what's the important thing, being a an American who's a Christian or a Christian who is American. And, and there's a big difference in setting your priorities. We're going to take another break, okay. Shane. We'll come back because I know you wanted to take some time to look at a, a passage in Ephesians chapter 13. So we'll do that when we come back. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Shane Kapler. And you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com. The Coming Home Network International is a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are interested in learning more about our Catholic faith, or if you know someone who is interested in becoming Catholic, please visit our website at www.chnetwork.org or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Shane Kapler. And uh, we've been looking at some texts from Ephesians. And now let's bump over to Hebrews chapter 13. I suppose we should look from all the way from verse 10 through verse, what you say, 16. But we'll just, what we're going to look at, uh, why don't you just go ahead and read, uh, okay. Shane, from your translation. Sure, I'm going to start at verse 10. It says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. And then uh, I was going to jump down to verses 15 through 17. All right. Through Jesus, let us continually offer God a sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of lips which acknowledge his name. Do not neglect good deeds and generosity. God is pleased by sacrifices of that kind. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over you as men who must render an account. So act that they may fulfill their task with joy, not with sorrow, for that would be harmful to you. Now let me ask you before you jump into some interpretation, how do you deal with these passages earlier as a health and wealth gospel Christian (laughs) or even just a a non-denominational charismatic Christian? You know, I think that... (laughs) I think that my knowledge of Scripture, uh, like that part about um, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat, I didn't have enough scriptural background to even make sense of that. You know, I just breezed right by it. Um, and then uh, when it's talking about, uh, you know, offering a sacrifice of praise and not neglecting good deeds and generosity because 
God's pleased by sacrifices of that kind. That whole idea of us offering sacrifices um, would have seemed heretical. You know, Jesus, one sacrifice, once and for all, that's it. Uh, and yet, here the writer of Hebrews is telling us that that we somehow can join our own life and our own offerings to Jesus. I look back on my days as a Presbyterian pastor, and I would have interpreted anything that used the word sacrifice in terms of uh, the areas of self-denial that we're called to. Okay. You know what I'm saying? That uh-huh. if, if I really want to follow Jesus, then I'm going to give up certain things. So that's all the way that I would have understood that. I would have not seen the wider context of the actual, actual sacrifice, not only of Christ, but of within the sacraments that we see clearly expressed in the in the writings of the early church fathers immediately coming forth is the sacramental the sacrificial imagery of of the liturgy and the sacraments yes in the larger context of hebrews you know being paul is writing to encourage jewish christians who are experiencing being ostracized uh, by the synagogue and so they're tempted to do they renounce their faith do they keep unity with their families. And so Paul is telling them, you know, as as wonderful as Judaism was, as wonderful as the priesthood and, and the earthly sanctuary and tabernacle and sacrifices, that's been fulfilled. You, you are already in, living in something far superior and eternal. Um, even the sacrifices that we have now, it's the sacrifice of Christ that, and when he says we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat, Paul's equating the Eucharist in our altar with the communion sacrifices that Israel used to have, where you know you offer part of your your animal on the altar to be burned up to God, but the other part, you know, you partake of, and communion is established there. So in that one little sentence, you really have this you know, this beautiful theology to unpack about the Eucharist, that it's a sacrifice, it's a communion sacrifice, uh, and it truly joins us to God. So, you know, something like that, uh, when I was 13, 14, going to a non-denominational church, I didn't have any kind of background to appreciate what the significance of that was, um, which is why context is so important when you're reading Scripture. Right. Yeah, in verse 17, of course, uh, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. So, as men who will have to give account, I mean that's a pretty strong uh, command from Paul or whoever wrote this. I mean, uh-huh. traditionally it was Paul, but whoever wrote this letter to these Christians, because many of them were ex-Jews, ex-Gentiles, being called to submit to leaders who were of a d- different former tradition. Yeah, that would have been yeah. tough. Yeah, good point, Marcus. Um, when I was reading this when I got in college and was uh, was really, you know, kind of at that last step of just giving my my whole heart to, to following Jesus in the Catholic Church, um, this is one of those passages that when I read, you know, I slapped my forehead and thought, why, you know, the two or three times I'd been through Hebrews before, didn't this affect me so deeply? <laughs> it, it's just so plain, so obvious. Yeah, so um, I, uh, I mean, I look at this, and here we have obey your leaders, submit to them. Well, submit to them in what? You know, I don't think in this passage it's talking about submitting to them in doctrinal problems. I, I think, you know, just the context, it's very practical. You know, submit to them in the day-to-day life of the church. So it's that disciplinary authority that we have in our bishops to maintain order. Uh and sometimes, you know, there there might be things about the church where we say, you know, fasting, holy days of obligation. What's that about? I mean, you know, Jesus didn't set out these particular days. Uh, well, you know, think about this. Jesus gave you a mom and dad, and the commandment is honor your father and your mother. Well, there are plenty of things that my mom and dad asked me to do when I was a child that, you know, there's nothing objectively you know, wrong about me having a piece of cake before dinner. But the sin comes in if my mom has told me, don't have a piece of cake before dinner, you know, because she's looking out for my well-being. She knows it'll ruin my appetite. Same thing with the church. I mean, when we obey the church's disciplinary authority, 
it's not that there's anything wrong with meat on Fridays or whatever it might be, but it's that we are called to fast and we are called to listen to our leaders, our mother given authority over us to lead us closer to Christ and to living his life. So we give, uh, we give obedience to them to give obedience to Christ. If we apply that same analogy to the rest of verse 17, let them do this joyfully and not sadly, for that would be of no advantage to you. You know, the, the author is addressing this not to the leaders, but to the people under the leaders. Yes. And so the author is telling them in their obe- obedience to allow, enable their leaders to do their response, carry out their responsibility with joy and not sadness. If you apply the analogy, you said children to parents. I mean, what often, what's the reason that parents sometimes are not able to fulfill their function as parents joyfully uh, and without sadness is because of the constant battles within the family. Yeah. You know, and a parent has to be, has to be willing to be quote unquote hated for a little while, you know, but they're doing these things with the long-term outlook for what's going to be good for their child as they go down the road. And same thing with the disciplines in the church. I think that, uh, sadly, you know, our, our poor bishops and priests, they've got to have that role sometimes of, of being hated by, you know, those that they're asking to do tough things, but they've got to bear that cross. Well, that comes back to that passage in Ephesians where within the body speaking the truth and love mm-hmm. uh, is not always doesn't mean uh, compromise what's true because you want to be loved. Right, right. You, you know, that their yeah. responsibility as leaders uh, helping the body grow into maturity involves making sure they know what is true and following that line. And because they love them, they're going to make sure they hear this. Otherwise, it, it's it's a compromise. And we as parents, you know, mea culpa, you know, the ways that I failed in my own calling as a, as a father and a husband by not speaking the truth and love as I ought to. Well, Shane, that music means we're running to the end, so thanks for joining us today. Thank you. And again, I'll remind the audience of your website, explainingchristianity.com. If you have any questions for Shane, please connect him there. Uh, He also has a blog, justacatholic.blogspot.com, where you can, again, hear some of his writings and, and communicate with him. So thanks again, Shane. Thank you. And thank you for joining us on this program. We'd love love to hear from you. Send us an email, comments about the program, any ways that we can make this a more uh, challenging and inspiring way to help you, help us grow, as Paul said, in the maturity of the faith. God bless you. See you next week.